Welcome home, Overlake. Welcome home. Love that theme. Especially as you find a little home in that nestled little green chair that's all comfy. Uh, I'm Pat. I'm one of the pastors on the team here. And we find ourselves in the second to last week of our summer series which does not mean, by the way, I don't want to freak anyone out. It doesn't mean summer's ending. It's going to go through October. been praying about it, declaring it. Uh, we are people of great faith here. Um, uh, it, it just means that we get one more week as we sit into this passage of Scripture. We've, we've called it the best sermon ever because it really is. It's, it's the longest teaching we have of Jesus Christ as he's teaching on a mount to his disciples and then crowds as well that had gathered to hear uh, Jesus' dynamic teaching. And so uh, we're in the, the second to last week. And, and what we've been discovering thus far, in case maybe this is your first time at Overlake ever, or maybe first time because uh, in this kind of season, summer's always crazy with camping and trips, travels. Um, what, 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 we, what we've been discovering together is really that Jesus is unpacking so eloquently what it looks like to love God, love people, and be on this mission of serving the world. And so he's really doing an incredible job taking what would have been kind of stiff, cold uh, rules, regulations, and the law, and he's bringing them to life in a way that isn't corrective in nature. It's really uh, kind of connective in nature. It's really neat. So what I want to do, I want to go ahead and actually just start by reading the, the passage that we have for this morning and then kick it off from there. And, and what I would ask or request uh, knowing that this is a very familiar passage of Scripture, and, I, and I'm sure some in here have read it many times, heard it many times. Let's together listen to this, hear this, read this, um, engage this passage in a way that's completely new and fresh, and really see what the Spirit would have for us this morning. See, see what it is that the, that the Spirit would maybe be planting in the hearts and minds of, of individuals in here. And so I'll start by reading it. And, and we're starting in verse 7. Uh, it's on the screen in the notes. Uh, you can follow along. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Amen. All right. We got one person. Just listen to this for the first time. I love it. You're my friend back there. Verse 9, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you, sinful people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? Do to those whatever you would like them to do to you this, this, is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. It's incredible, and I think we've seen this theme multiple times now over the course of weeks. The best sermon ever requires some action. It's not just you get to listen to it and kind of move on in life. It requires a lot of movement, a lot of decision-making, a lot of behavior change, a lot of, again, action. And this passage is no different. Tons of actionable words packed into those little verses right there. An incredible amount of truth that, if applied, changes a lot of things, not, not just in our personal lives, but in our communities as well. And what I want to hit lead off with is actually a metaphor, because what Jesus pulls off here is pretty incredible. And, and it'd be easy to skip over, glaze over, kind of not, not quite hone into. And, and the metaphor is this. And for, for, uh, for someone here, this is really going to resonate for you. Uh, the metaphor, what came to mind is cliff notes. Cliff Notes. 
If you were a straight-A student, you never missed an assignment, you read every book on the required reading list, you were the people that turned it in a week early, you were the, the, the students that just had to do every extra credit assignment because you're so type A and you want to see if you get in class with 109% instead of just 100, uh, uh, that's cool. It wasn't me, but that's cool. You may have no clue what Cliff Notes are. The other people in here, your gift, you had the gift, let's just call it a gift, of procrastination, right? You could wait around all day, like deadlines, they're more like guidelines. You know, I can, I can go to the excuse bank and figure out how to stretch that if needed. You majored in being a social butterfly, you know, like your, your life was such that without Cliff Notes, you wouldn't be here. Like you would not have finished high school, you wouldn't have gone to college and finished that, uh, maybe, maybe seminary, I don't know, heaven forbid. Uh, but. But what Cliff Notes do, if you don't know, is they distill down a long novel, say 300 pages, down to a book you could read in like 30 minutes. Amen. Come on. This passage of scripture is loaded with truth. And it's incredible what Jesus pulls off is exactly that. He is saying, hey, and I'll read it again so we don't miss it. Verse 12. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Jesus, uh, uh, later in his ministry, asks, what's the greatest commandment? He says, hey, it's easy. Let me distill it down. You guys have the whole law memorized, but let me give it to you straight. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Think of the eloquence of that type teacher. Think of the crowds that would bring to be able to distill down something that's lengthy, loaded with rules and laws and regulations, about 630 of them as you look at the Old Testament. And here he is, and he pulls it out, and he says, I'll give it to you straight right here. And if you want something to live by, if you need some help in kind of organizing your life around what it looks like to do this, then think of it this way, and it's so concrete, and it's the golden rule. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. And what I fear is that instead of keeping it in the positive nature of the golden rule of doing, of taking action, I think over time, and we've experienced this as kids, and I think we've kind of continued to push it forward as, as, as babysitters or parents, is we kind of focus on the negative. We kind of focus on the aspect of don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. And, and, and here's what I mean. I, I think as kids, we all experience this. As parents, I'm sure we've all said this at some point or another, is uh, uh, you catch your kid doing something, maybe calling someone a name. Maybe, maybe they're, they're, they're stealing a toy. Maybe they're kind of, uh, uh, their, their conflict resolution skills have not, like, gone to a great degree yet, so they're pushing and shoving, you know? And what do you do? You kind of get on their level, and you kind of let them know, hey, would you want them to do that to you? And you patiently wait. You kind of take that long, dramatic pause, and you kind of hope to see that really beautiful, cute, like, convicted face, like, that little guilty look of, like, Oh, no, you know, I'm, I'm caught. You know, I wouldn't want to, Mom. And, and, and you let them know. You kind of give it to them straight. You just let them know, hey, then don't do it. Then don't do it. Go say you're sorry. Go make things right. And the golden rule is far more than that, of packaging it into its negative form. Jesus wants far more than us just not being selfish little jerks. Like, really, what he's going after, he's saying, do unto others. He's saying there's a positive aspect to this. There's something to drive home that, that you can begin to live intentionally in a way where your actions make you a courageous person of selfless love that, that, that seeks justice on behalf of others. That's what he's going for. 
It makes me think, this last weekend, I was at a conference with, with uh, Pastor Dom, our, our worship pastor, and we were able to sit under some great teachers, and, and one was John Maxwell, the, the, the guru of leadership of our time. He's so good. He's, so, he, he's just so grand. And, and what he was sharing was this story, and I think it really hammers this home of how we could frame, again, what the, the golden rule looks like in, a, in its positive form. And he says that he was sitting out with his grandkids, and he, and he was having a, a, a conversation with his nine-year-old grandson. Nine-year-old grandson. So, so uh, he's having this discussion, and what he asks his grandson is, hey, buddy, what could you do tomorrow that would add value to someone's life, that would bring value to their day? And so his grandson kind of sits, pauses, and thinks, and knows, okay, well, tomorrow I know I'm going to run, be running around some errands with my mom and dad. And so he tells his grandfather, he, tell, he tells uh, John Maxwell, oh, Pop-Pop, I'm going to open the door for people tomorrow. And John Maxwell's thinking, oh, this is good. And, and, and his grandson stops him and says, no, 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 that's not just it. I'm not just going to open the door. I'm going to open the door and smile. And John Maxwell's thinking, oh, this is perfect. You know, I can use this at a conference coming up in a few weeks. This will be great. And his grandson's not done. He says, eh, that's not it, Pop-Pop. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to open the door. I'm going to smile. I'm going to tell people, have a good day. And so the next day, John Maxwell, he, he, he gets on the phone with his little grandson, asks how his day was, and here's what his nine-year-old grandson tells him. He says, Pop-Pop, you wouldn't believe it. I held the door open, smiled, and told 42 people to have a good day today. And I love that. An actionable, a do unto others, not a simply retreat back and don't be a jerk and you know, don't call people names, which is also right living, but, but live into a way of action. And what I love is Martin Luther King Jr. has an incredible quote that I really think helps deliver a, a kind of a self-reflective question for us that I think is useful as we're sitting and uh, in, in kind of looking at Jesus' teaching on the golden rule. And here's what, here's what Martin Luther King Jr. says. He says, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? What are you doing for others? How are you advocating to those in need? How are you caring for someone else? How are you a source of encouragement to someone? Maybe someone you know, or maybe it's someone you don't even know. How, how, how quickly are you to think of even just small ways, of, of just like a nine-year-old, opening the door, smiling, telling people to have a good day? How much more do things begin to change and shift in our lives just by living into a golden rule that maybe has been kind of stripped of really the weight and the power that it contains? And let me remind you, and I'm going to kind of hit rewind if you've been with us all summer. This will sound familiar because uh, 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 this is something Jesus said earlier in his teaching in Matthew chapter 5. And again, I, to, just to remind you, everything we've been hearing over the last six weeks or so, everyone would have heard in one sitting. It would have been one message. So all these things would have been fresh in the minds of his audience. But here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5.11. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. So he's not saying the golden rule is this great way to make sure and ensure that other people respect you and treat you exactly the way you've treated and respected them. He's saying to live into this, to live into to, to, to my teachings, to follow me, really is exactly like a song we were just singing. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me. Think of Jesus as not just words that are cautionary in this particular verse, but also think of his life. It ended on that, on a Roman cross. 
for him to live out his own teaching, the golden rule, met him laying down, giving his life to us. And we need to recognize that, make note of that as followers, and, and, and know that is what we're being asked to live into. It's incredible the weight that comes with this. And so what I want to do, I want to read those other verses that he gave us right prior to the golden rule. And I think there's going to be a, 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 an incredible interplay that we'll discover shortly. But I want to start with verse 7, and then I want to uh, pose three different questions to us this morning that we can wrestle with. Just as Martin Luther King Jr. came up with a, a, a great question to kind of uh, self-reflect on the golden rule, I think we can come up with some in this ask and seek and knock portion. So let me read it again. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You parents, if your child asks for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? If, or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you, sinful people, know how to give good gifts to your, to your children, how much more... Will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? And so the first question, first self-reflective question I think we can attach to this is, is keeping it simple. Am I asking, seeking, and knocking? And if it helps to write that down, if it helps to just pause and say that in your mind once or twice of just, again, reflecting, am I doing this? And Jesus keeps his teaching simple, and I love that, right? Ask, you receive. Seek, you find. Knock, the door's open. There's a posture, right, of coming to God and, and, and trusting him with our needs and our requests. And I love, even each of those words that he uses gives us a different kind of context of what comes to mind. To ask is more vocal in nature. To seek is a little more of a curiosity or, or, or need to actually pursue something. And then to knock is to take initiative, to, to, to act out. And so I think, again, there's incredible application to this. And what's nice is, again, hitting rewind from three weeks back, Pastor Neely read and walked us through the portion of Scripture where Jesus gives some great examples of, of how we could pray, of things we could and should be asking and seeking and knocking for. And so let me read once more, as we've maybe heard it already this summer, but to remind us again of what his audience would have just heard a few moments prior, and that was this. Matthew 6, verse 9 through 13, the words of Christ. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, boom, something to ask for. Your will be done, something to seek God on. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, something, again, we can be asking for. And forgive us our debt-seeking, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation to knock upon uh, God's heart there on that one. And deliver us from the evil one. Things we could be asking and seeking and knocking. And what I so appreciate about Jesus is he doesn't go to law mode with this. He doesn't go into uh, quickly defining kind of buckets and categories of things you can pray for, things you cannot pray for. Uh, things that are great to ask for on a Monday and then things that wait, wait, wait till Wednesday. It's a little more effective on Wednesdays. Like he doesn't get into like, like little ticky tack stuff at all. I think there's a, a freedom in not just his example that he gives, but also in just keeping it simple. Ask, seek, knock. And he kind of keeps it wide open a little bit. He doesn't say, hey, you can ask for the Seahawks to have a great season, but I don't hear prayers for the Mariners. Um, although I wonder that sometimes. <laughs> uh, 
He doesn't say, hey, you can ask for a new car, but in the Northwest, I only do Priuses, you know? Those people might be praying. I don't know. I'm going to try. He doesn't say, hey, you know, uh, in my uh, health insurance policy of prayer, I do cover cover, uh, the broken bones, burns, and abrasions, but terminal illness is off the list, unfortunately. It's just a little outside of what I can handle. Of course not. There's incredible freedom as to what he's asking us to enter into with asking and seeking and knocking. And this isn't done in a way, and I think our minds and even behaviors can drift towards this, where, where we treat God like the genie in Aladdin. A little Robin Williams voice comes to mind, you know? Like just, just uh, our wish is his command. And when you think about it, think of the grave danger if that were the case. We become God, not him. We start bossing and ordering him around as to what he should be doing in our lives in this world Instead of, and Jesus role models this very well for us in the garden, asking, seeking, laying out our needs and requests to God, and in the same breath, being bold enough to say, and yet your will be done. To do it in tandem. That's incredible to live into that. To not just see this passage as one that, again, gives us right to, to, to boss God around and gives us complete freedom to have some messed up theology where we're in the driver's seat. But to actually re- recognize and know, let's lay out our needs and requests and boldly bring those. And at the same time, entrust that he is going to be at work and ask him to do his work. And so what I want to look at is really this idea of how prayer and this golden rule have, have a bit of an interplay. Because in my mind, and prior to even having to prepare for, for this passage of Scripture, whenever I read the Sermon on the Mount, I kind of would get through the ask, seek, and knock part. part. And then the golden rule just kind of felt like it was out in left field, great, like super good. Like in Jesus' fill-ins, like that, that was a fill-in, you know, like write this down, everyone. Like, and I didn't always see that, wow, there's, there's an incredible thing happening here. Because I think Jesus knows our propensity to actually treat even prayer in such a self-directive way that he's needing to kind of call us out and challenge us onto what God's heart is. And that's an incredible love and value for others and what their needs, what their asks may be. And so I think there's no, no accident that after asking and seeking and knocking, he says, hey, and make sure you're doing to others what you would like them to do unto you. I think this is challenging to recognize a shift that our prayers could begin to take as we have a heart after God's, that asking and seeking and knocking isn't just for my own personal need and benefit, but for anyone else's that I may hear, for a family member, for a friend, for a neighbor, a stranger, something maybe you overhear, and and that those are things that you begin to take on and you begin to seek God on. And so it's incredible, I think, that the golden rule and this ask, seek, knock portion are actually working together on that end. The second question that I think we can ask ourselves to wrestle with, again, these are questions not just for today, but I think throughout the week, throughout our month, throughout our faith journey. Do I keep on asking, seeking, and knocking? Again, just pulling it straight from Scripture there and asking a question, am I doing this? Do I keep on asking, seeking, and knocking? Three times that phrase, that little two-word phrase, keep on, shows up. And maybe you'd like to circle them to kind of see that. I'll read them again. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. 
what comes to mind of someone that is living out a way, and, and I think the words at least that come to mind, the, the character traits that come out is someone who's just consistent or disciplined, committed, faithful. There's a, a level of buy-in, of persistence, of perseverance. And who came to mind, and maybe it's just because I've been binge-watching the Olympics, is Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps, fifth Olympics, fifth Olympics, 31 years old, has now finished with 28 career Olympic medals, 23 of which he stands on the top podium. Gold. Here's a man. Oh, come on. Let's hear it from Michael Phelps. Why not, right? So great. Jesus is golden rule. Man, you know, whatever. But Michael Phelps, let's do it. <laughs> That's so great. Uh, I love it. Michael Phelps, right? He embodies this so well. He bodies, and, and we, we value it. We celebrate it. We, we kind of give it the credibility and, and credit it deserves of someone who's put in the hours. I mean, we're just, we love to sit back and every four years kind of tune in and watch the little one-minute race or two-minute race, and then, yep, yeah, we want again, you know. But in that time in between, each of those Olympics, there's dedication in the pool, in the weight room, nutrition, sleeping, everything. He's oriented his life around this. And I think we give the same amount of credit when it comes to careers or education. And I know personally, and this is a confession of my own, I've kind of viewed this passage at times of like, man, why do I have to keep on praying? Why do I have to keep on asking, keep on seeking? Don't you hear me the first time? Can't you respond a little sooner? I got other things to do, you know? We don't give it the same value that we give other things that require perseverance, persistence, dedication, consistency. There's an element to our faith journey that requires much prayer, much asking and seeking and knocking upon the Lord for. And I think Jesus is encouraging that. And I don't think it's to be received as a bad thing or a bummer thing. There's a, a, a small group that I'm a part of over the course of this next year. We've met a few times already. It's with Pastor Mike, Pastor Gary Neely, myself, and then uh, various other uh, diverse group of, of, of pastors in the, in the Puget Sound area, in the Seattle area here. And it's been so fun. It's through the uh, Fuller Theological Seminary, and they give us great readings to, to read through and short videos to watch that when we come together monthly and, and meet over the course of, of uh, uh, like four hours, that we just have rich discussion. And there was one week committed to this topic and idea of prayer. And I'll tell you what, one of the videos really challenged me as to the paradigm I had been working with in addressing prayer and even in how I would look at a passage like this one that we're looking at today. And so what I want to do, it's only two minutes and about 30 seconds or so. It's from a great uh, a follower of Christ, a great mind, a great thinker, uh, an inc incredible theologian of Richard Rohr. And so I want you to hear some of his thoughts as, as his journey has been over the years of Christ, and, and in, in particular around this area of prayer. So let's watch this and see how maybe it even shifts uh, uh, our hearts and minds on this. Why do we what, what is prayer? You know, I think we made prayer into a very much a left brain, verbal thing. And I do think there's a place for that. Uh, but the very fact that the disciples had to ask Jesus for a verbal prayer could give you the clue that that isn't what they had previously been talking about or experienced. So I'm going to say this, that Whatever you do in a state of communion, connection, love, use all of them equally, 
is prayer. Whatever you do outside of a state of union is non-prayer. <laughs> so that's why, you know, action and contemplation can come together and really be one. When you're acting out of a state of conscious, loving union with what you're doing, with God, with the person who's across from you, I sincerely believe that's the deepest meaning of prayer. So prayer is primarily a stance. It's a way of being in the world that is a connected way, a, a way of love and communion, instead of a way of judgment, analysis, critique, uh, you see. And once you recognize that, then you can, for example, when the gospel says Jesus prayed for 40 days in the desert, does that mean he said words? I don't think so. But that he walked around putting one foot in front of the other in conscious, loving union with God, his Father, with that rock, with this guy, that's prayer. And that's why twice in the letters of the New Testament it says pray always. Now they can't really mean this verbal thing. They've got to be talking about a state of consciousness. And in many ways that's much harder to maintain, to really do even very secular things, so-called. Of course, then you find out there's nothing secular because you can do everything in conscious, loving union with God. The dishes, driving to work, making love, whatever, you know, when you're doing it in union, it is a prayer. And I, I sincerely believe that. I'm not trying to be clever. I believe that. That's challenging. Man, he, he said a few things that, that I wouldn't say on the stage for sure. And, and yet I so appreciate that. So much it does. It, I think it showcases this freedom that maybe we've locked prayer into just one part of what it is. And what I love is this idea that now there's a freedom to go about our days, that even the things that we used to see and view as mundane in nature or just part of the routine of life, can be filled with rich meaning, can be filled with a conscious state of connection, communion with God, closeness to Him. They can be pockets of time spent really in asking or seeking or knocking, whether it's laundry or the dishes, as he kind of describes, or it's uh, on the commute to work, or walk to the bus stop, or as you wash your hands, or, or whatever it is, or, or, or before you go to bed and close your eyes for a nice, long, restful night of sleep, except for if you're have a baby, then maybe it's a, you know, just a few hours. But, but this idea that our lives can really, don't need to be stripped of all the things that are required to go about our days, but, but maybe we just add to those things what Jesus encourages us with. And it brings us to this last self-reflective question that I think may be the most important. Because upon this question really builds and hangs and is really the framework for everything else we've been talking about. Because you begin to recognize that if you choose to live into this, and it is a choice, it's either going to be an empty exercise, some lifeless routine, some shell of something that, that maybe you would be hopeful that, that it would be great, simply because of your idea of who God may be. Or maybe it's just because... Uh, uh, you don't even know if he's there, or you, you expect him, or you view him as someone who's distant or apathetic, or it can be the exact opposite, 
you begin to recognize, wow, this is one of the most vibrant, powerful, intimate opportunities I have because of who God is, because he is love, because he embodies everything that is perfect. He is perfect. He's completely holy. And so the last question we have to ask, and again, I think reflect on, not just in this moment, but throughout our life, I think this is something we need to wrestle with is this question, do I believe I'm praying to a good father? Do I believe I'm praying to a good father? And I recognize, knowing the, the, the numbers in this room, that that word father is a loaded word. We talked briefly about this word home earlier in the welcome and worship, and that can be a loaded word. But, but when it comes to father, there's some that feel as if I've never had one. I'm, I'm, I, I maybe had one on paper. He was so distant, disconnected. Don't even know if you ever thought about it. Or maybe the one I had was extremely manipulative, or self-absorbed, even maybe abusive. Maybe, maybe you, you have scars and, and hurts, pains, wounds in your life because of, again, what this father figure in your life has done. And we sing so quickly can take that and project it upon how we view God and, and, and what our relationship with him begins to look like. And even I'll go to this side of the spectrum where maybe your dad, your father, is your greatest hero. And you've lived your life with a thought at times, of, if I could just be half the person he is, I'd be so happy. He was so good to me. And I would remind you that even, even that father figure at times was imperfect was sinful, would, would maybe wear a face at times that communicated disapproval or, or I'm still too busy or, 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 or maybe there were behaviors that still were, were not in perfection or spoke words that still sting if you uh, think about what those were. And yet everyone, regardless of our experience, actually somehow, and I don't know how this is the case, we all know what goes in. We all know what characteristics we would either desire or maybe we've seen in what a good father is, what a good father does, what those characteristics and, and attributes are. And so I have a few that I wrote down that come to mind. And thankfully, gratefully, it is because that my dad, my, my, my earthly father, uh, uh, showcased these things. And the first is this. I think a good, a good father is thoughtful. My dad, all of us kids experience this. There's five of us kids. My dad just gives the greatest gifts. Not because of their, their value, as much as you can tell, wow, that required a lot of thought. I have something in my office that still hangs. It's probably my favorite uh, pictures that I have. I got it when I was a sophomore in high school. I was way into distance running. And so my idol was Steve Prefontaine. He found this really cool picture, framed it. It's got the quote, to, to give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. And it's black and white. Prefontaine's breaking the tape and coming through and... And it required thought. And I remember just sensing and feeling just such a joy in that. And I think we can each think of maybe examples of maybe it wasn't even your, your father, but, but someone that has done something incredibly thoughtful to you. And, and yet I read this passage and I can almost hear the voice of Christ. Pat, if you think your father is completely thoughtful, how much more am I thoughtful? And I am perfect. A month ago, I'm walking out the back of the church after service, 
have a great exchange with an overlaker who shared with me, and he's beaming at this point. He's in his car, he rolls down his window, he's getting ready to, to take off, and, he, and, he, and, and so we're talking briefly, and what he says is, man, you'll never believe the gift I received this morning. There was an eagle that was circling over my car as I pulled out from Linwood or Mill Creek and came down, and, and he just received it as such a thoughtful gift, and man, in that moment, I felt so challenged of, man, there are thoughtful gifts coming my way that I don't even recognize. Like, and so I was just super in tune these last few weeks of like, man, oh God, that, 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 that sunset is so beautiful. Thank you. I was just in such a, a place of just thinking and almost seeing these little thoughtful things that were coming my way that I think I'd missed so much. I saw a beaver. Guys, I saw a beaver in my little parish down here in Juanita. And it was, they're kind of creepy looking actually when you see them. They're a little, a little more rodent-ish than I was expecting. And, and it was chomping away on lily pads, but I was like, this is so awesome. It felt like such a great moment of thoughtfulness. And I don't know how to communicate that with, without being weird, but, but maybe there's things out there and we're not even recognizing how good, just how good God is. A second thing that comes to mind is generosity. A good father is generous with us. I never once, as I was growing up and slept in the basement and got fed meals, got taken to the uh, school every morning, got, got, got to do swim team, some of these other little things. Never did I get a running tab of like, all right, Pat, let's look at the last 18 years of your life. Here it is, you know, like it wasn't free, you know. Wow, how much more if an imperfect heavenly or earthly father treated me in that regard is our heavenly father. And I'm so quick to not always thank him for the meals I'm eating, the job that I have, the safety in the home that I live in. And that's just the beginning. Because at the end of the day, as you begin to think of the level of generosity, you can't help but once again be reminded of the ultimate gift he gave us in his son. I think of a good father being protective. I'm sure many of us, we've either done this or had this done to us. I remember always riding shotgun with my dad in the old truck, and if he ever slammed on his brakes, this is like pre-airbags, like that was total afterthought. You'd get the daddy seatbelt, just, you know, just, oh, you know, I'm going nowhere, like, like probably better, better, better than an airbag, you know, but how many times just that instinctual, I got you, I'll protect you. I can think of a time I was really little, fell off a dock, and I, like, I didn't have an ounce of fat on me. I just went straight to the bottom. Like, I was the kid in swimming lessons, could never backflow. No matter how much I arched my back, took a deep breath of air, like, bloop, 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 you know? And, and so my dad, I remember my dad at a young age, my, maybe my earliest memory, pulling me out of the bottom of this lake. I remember uh, seventh grade being on a run with my dad, and I, I was a skinny kid growing up, like so skinny. Like I, I had to run around the shower just to get wet, or, or, or I had to stand in the same place twice just to cast a shadow. I was so skinny. And so I remember being on this run with my dad, and this huge dog, this huge black, scary, barking dog is racing at us and looking at me for sure, like two bites, that's like a snack, I got him, you know? And my dad, without thought, just picks me up, and it was so incredible. I wish you could have seen it. He just looks at the dog, points to the dog, and says, go home, in the, like, deepest barking voice. Maybe it was a bark. I don't know. That dog totally understood, though. Just bam. Oh, I didn't, didn't see you up there, Greg Swanson. Yes, going home now. Like, sorry, I'll close the gate. Yes, you know? <laughs> my dad loves me, and he protects me. How much more? How much more a perfect heavenly father? 
Overlake, let's, let's actually stand. In this moment, I'd love for us to stand. Right now, if you're able, stand up. I want you to hear that your Heavenly Father is even more than just the first few things I've communicated. He's playful. He takes incredible delight in you. He wants to play with you. I'm going to be a dad come January. We're so excited. Now when I walk by and I see playground equipment, I can't help but think, I get to use that. I get to use that with my little boy. Now when I go to a Mariners game, I can't wait to buy him a hat of a team that's going to keep losing and just teach him what it's like. (laughs) How much more does our Heavenly Father delight in us, love us? It's incredible to be wrecked by this reality because not only, and this is where it's so huge, not only does it help us begin to more clearly identify who God is as a perfect father, it then begins to show us the identity of who we are. We begin to recognize we're accepted, we're wanted, we bring delight, we're worth playing with, we're known. We're loved. And then what's crazy is not just coming to a place of recognizing that identity, but then golden rule makes all the sense in the world. God has such an incredible love, passion, protective spirit of every other person. Maybe I should too. Maybe I should live my life, give my life, lay down my life in a way that communicates exactly that. And again, it begins with recognizing God is a good father, and it leads us to knowing who we are, and that leads us to really a place of action. So let's worship. Let's sit in this moment. (laughs) 